And Father, we, we do praise you for the work that you've done that when all these things happen, when all of our life falls apart or, or at least feels to, that we can still, by your grace and your power, say it is well, knowing who you are, knowing what you've done for us, knowing all that you've provided and will provide. Lord, you are so good. You have been so unbelievably good to us. We praise you for that. Lord, we love you. And we pray that in this time, you would continue to provide for us through your word, helping us to walk with you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The, uh, the not-so-great theologian Bob Dylan wrote and sang, come gather round people wherever, wherever you roam and admit that the waters around you have grown and accept that it's soon you'll be drenched to the bone if your time to you is worth saving. And you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone for the times they are changing, right? Certainly our times are changing. And they always have been, they always will be. And, and, you know, you just think back to where we were 10 years ago as a world. The Olympics were in London. There were only five iPhones. And Westchester had a new youth pastor named Josh with only a faint whisper of a beard. <laughs> and then we think to what will be 10 years from now. No doubt Disney Plus will have generated approximately 28 new Star Wars movies or series, none of which will hold a candle to the original trilogy. There will be something worse than TikTok, and the Earth will be slightly more inhabitable because of a bunch of our weirdos will now reside on Mars. <laughs> but none of this that I've mentioned and, and joked about goes into the cultural shifts and changes that have happened that are happening, and that will continue to happen. And sometimes within these cultural shifts, we're tempted to think like, man, this just, it feels like the world has never been more against the gospel than it is now. All the while, we are meeting in a very public place, broadcasting our service on the internet, advertising our times, hoping that all will come with no fear of persecution at least in our context. We know, unfortunately, many of our brothers and sisters around the world, most places around the world, they do not have this luxury. But I think more commonly in the midst of these changes, as we hear what's being taught, as we hear how far our culture is going down rabbit holes that just are not healthy, we think, how do I walk with Christ in this time? With all that's going on, with all the turmoil, how do I walk with Christ in this current climate? In this sink or swim feeling? It's, it's, after all, the times are changing. And sometimes in these sink or swim moments, we're tempted to look for the next great 
preacher, the next great book or ministry strategy that will somehow unlock this secret spiritual wisdom that will enable us to move forward. That with, without that, how could we have ever gotten here? Had this preacher I not heard of 10 years ago not written this book that I hadn't heard of one month ago, now my life can go on. But we need to be weary of that kind of thought. And instead, we need to find good wisdom, good teachers that consistently point us to the same thing over and over again because the core of walking with the Lord never changes. Our God does not change. The only thing that changes is the setting in which our walk with the Lord happens. So how do we walk with the Lord? You know, as we come now to the text in Mark 12, the scribes aren't coming to Jesus saying, Lord, times are very different. How do we walk with the Lord? This is the last question in a series of questions that, that scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees have brought to Jesus to try and trip him up. This question, as Mark presents it, feels a bit different, though. Here we have someone coming saying, What's the most important commandment? Now, Matthew sets this up as he's trying for a trap. Mark sets it up a little more honestly. They're not in complete disagreement. I think where we have the difference between the two is the end of the conversation where the scribe responds to Jesus' answer, showing a greater sincerity than we otherwise would have assumed. But it is essentially, in, a, in, in this in this walk where we have 600-some commandments to keep before God, what's the most important one, Jesus? How do we walk with the Lord? And certainly the Jews at that time were in a very different setting than they were when Moses gave these commandments as they were preparing to enter the Promised Land. Now they're on the real estate, but they're, they're tenants of Rome. They're not owning the real estate as was intended. So how do we follow the Lord? How do we walk with God? And I wanna, what I want to hold to us today is that Jesus' answer here in this passage doesn't just answer that first century question, but it lays a path for us in every culture we'll find ourselves in. Whether we stay here and culture is different 50 years from now, or God moves us to a very different part of the globe and culture is obviously different there. How do we walk with the Lord? And so let's read now Mark 12, starting in verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said he is one. There is no other beside him. 
and to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Jesus saw that he answered wisely and said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any questions. So this morning, in our ever-changing world, we need to hold to and live in this irreducible core of walking with the Lord. Think of it this way. If we were to boil down, you, you think of like getting to a concentrate of something, boiling that down to what's the, the if, if you had any less ingredient, it wouldn't be what it is anymore. And walking with the Lord boils down to these things. And the first that we see in this text that's highlighted in Jesus' answer and in the scribes' uh, repeating of Jesus' answer, his recitation of it, is that God is uniquely personal and holy. Jesus asked, what's the most important? And Jesus quotes what is known as the Shema. And it's, it's out of Deuteronomy 6. And Deuteronomy if you don't know, is Moses' farewell address to the nation of Israel. And where he really gets going in his sermon, in Moses' sermon to the people, is in Deuteronomy 6. Shema, Israel, listen, hear. Hear, O Israel. This is the first commandment in the opening, in the opening statement of the sermon. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this gives us two important markers. The first is the Lord our God. <coughs> Excuse me. Identifying God as the Lord and creator of the universe is, it is noteworthy and distinctly important for today. And for the sake of time, I want to focus on not on the, the Lord as, as the creator of the universe, the unique creator of the universe, although that is super important. I want to focus on the part where he says, our God. The Lord is, a, as we look at our God, we need to look at the Lord as, as, the, as the holy, the one true God. But not only is he that, he's our God. And, and this statement, our God, is a walk for the Israelites through salvation history. For this original audience in Deuteronomy, for them to say our God was to go all the way back to Abram. Before he became Abraham. And God's saying, I'm going to make a nation out of you. And then God changed his name and saying, I'm going to make a many nations out of you. Before he even had a kid yet. And through your offspring will all the nations of the earth be blessed. And you're going to have this land. And God kept this promise. Not through one generation, not through two generations, both which had their own share of dysfunction, but through 400 years of captivity in Egypt, God was keeping his promise. And then hearing his people's cry from Egypt, he, he raises up, draws out, and sends back Moses 
And God redeems his people from Egypt. He conquers Egypt through a series of plagues, gives his people freedom from slavery in Egypt, leads them through the wilderness, leads them through their grumbling and sin, and brings them to the land he has promised. And as these people are hearing this farewell address from Moses, knowing that they're about to enter the promised land and they're about to to kick people out and take houses that they didn't build and farm in fields that they didn't cultivate, they hear the Lord our God. And they think, this is the God who sent the plagues. This is the God who, who opened the sea for our ancestors to go through it. This is the God who gave us manna every single day. This is the God who led by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. This is our God who is faithful. This is the God who contends for us, who saves us, who provides for us, who acts on our behalf, and who redeems us from death. And all of these things are absolutely true of those who call on the name of Christ. That those, who, those of us who've come to a saving faith in Christ can say, our God who is faithful, who contends for us, who saves us, who provides for us, who acts on our behalf and redeems us from death. And all of this points to two really big things about our God. One, he loved us first. Our God loved us first. Before the foundations of the earth, he loved us. And our God loved us more and loves us more. More than who, you might ask? Fill in the blank with whatever you want. He loves you more. He loves you more than anyone you would be tempted to give yourself to. And, and then we look at the New Testament understanding of, of this wording, our God, and it only grows in Christ. My heart grieves for believers in nations like Afghanistan and Iran and North Korea. Believers who may be the only believer in their city, who are one of a handful of believers in their country, and don't realize that a church of as many as 200 is gathered together, and it's only one of several churches in a city called Des Moines. That they feel so alone. And I also grieve for churches that experience great division instead of finding their unity in the Lord, knowing that they are all, regardless of background, they all enter into one faith through one baptism, call on one Lord, one Christ. They're saved by sins that were nailed to one, they're saved by a death on one cross, having their sins nailed to that one cross. 
that we are united by him. And all of us who call on the name of the Lord, call on the same Lord, whether we are male, female, African, Asian, Latino, indigenous, European, American, we all have the same Savior. So we, together, as we read this, Hear, O Westchester, the Lord our God. Hear, O Church of Des Moines and Iowa, Church in the United States of America, Church of the World, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is holy. He alone is worthy of what the next instruction that's coming. God is not part of some cosmic consortium. He's not the one who saved us while many others could have. It's not like there's this banquet hall full of gods and Yahweh got, "Eh, you know, earth's kind of in trouble. I'll go give them salvation. You guys hold my spot at the poker table. That's not our God. He is the one God. He is the only one. Not only is he the only one worthy He is the only one capable of responding to. He is the only one who hears our cries for help. All those that the world and the culture around us prop up as gods with little g's are incapable of hearing, incapable of responding, incapable of acting. God is uniquely personal, saving us Loving us, first loving us more, and he is holy. And so our instruction with this uniquely personal and holy God is to love the Lord holy. Love the Lord holy. Notice the two different spellings. And so we are told, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Down in verse 32, or verse 33, when the scribe answers, he goes, you are to love him with all your heart, with all the understanding, all the strength. This is an all of you kind of love. There's no room in this commandment for exceptions. And it's reasonable that we would have a whole self-affection for the Lord. Why would we not? If we take the time to think about what it means that God saved us from our sins, that God would, would predestine us for love, in love, He would predestine us for adoption, to present us holy and blameless to Himself, that He would do all this with joy, that he would take us who are sinful and wicked and our sins are like scarlet and crimson and he would make it white as snow, removing our sin as far from us as the east is from the west. It only makes sense that we would say with our whole being, every fiber of ourselves, Lord, I love you. I love you with all my mind. I want my thoughts and my, my, the things that are entering into my mind, the things I'm dwelling on, to be loving to you with all my heart, with all my emotion, with all my strength. I want to pour that out to you. Why would we act any other way? There's no part of us in this command that's allowed to withhold love from God. 
And I want you just for a moment to think about last week. Just think about the ups and downs you had last week. Think about your phone calls. Think about your busyness. Think about your, I know, like we only want holy thoughts in church, but think about work and school. What, what, would, what would last week have looked like had you loved the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Maybe there's parts of it that would stay relatively unchanged. Well, you know, I get up in the morning, I pour a cup of coffee, I have devotional. That part would stay the same. But starting at like 6.45, everything else would be different. <laughs> Maybe that's your answer. But what would be different about your week? Had you loved the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And this is not an exercise in guilt. I don't want... I don't want us to go down that path. I don't want me to go down that path. But here's what I do want. For us and for me. Is I, I want us to to see the incredible value in loving God in this whole self way. I imagine a lot of you, as we were doing that thought exercise, how would your week have been different had you loved the Lord this way? Probably your first thought was, well, I would have sinned a whole lot less. And there is so much wrapped up into sin management for Christians, stress management for Christians, uh, anxiety management, um, wrapped up into our, in our spiritual growth. And I haven't, I haven't gone through it all. I'm, I'm not going to. But for what I have gone through over the years, feel like especially in the anxiety management for Christians and sin management for Christians there's not enough focus on simply loving God with all of who you are that our affection for God would crowd out these other things that weigh us down I'm not saying there's a magic pill that you just love God and all your problems will go away. I'm not saying that. But I am saying as word of testimony in my own life that as my affection for God has grown over the course of my life, I'm not now suddenly without anxiety. I'm not without the need for growth. I'm not without sin. But the affection for the Lord that has grown has crowded some of that out. And the best thing I've found in my life for dealing with my sin is to grow in my love of God. Because as I do that, I'm going to repent. As I do that, I'm going to draw close to him. As I do that, I'm going to do a lot of these sin management strategies. But when they're motivated by love of God, they become life-giving instead of debilitating. 
And so what's holding you back from this kind of love of God? Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I'm not sure that's up for me. Like I've budgeted out how much love I have for God and how much love I have for fill in the blank. All of it seems a little extreme. I'm not sure I'm willing to go there. So what's holding you back? Are you desirous of this kind of love of God but worried about something? Worried you'll miss out. Worried you'll have to give something up. It will be well worth your time to reflect on and identify those things that are infringing on your love of God. And then weed out the excuses or misplaced values one by one, knowing that these things are toxic. They'll waste your time in dreadful ways. And allow this love of God to grow. You're not going to be one of the Puritans tomorrow. Allow this love of God to grow. Read God's word. Familiarize yourself with his power and his promises. Start holding on to his promises. Reminding yourself of them, calling them to memory so that when they are actually are unfolding before you, you can go, that's not a coincidence. That's the love of God for me. That's God's power in my life. Read good biographies about how God has worked in the lives of these saints who have gone before us. Keep track of how God is working in your life. Repent of your sin and walk with other Christians. Have accountability, not just for sin management, but for actual spiritual health. We've had all this accountability push over the last 20, 30 years in Christianity in America that have all dealt around morals. And what if our accountability centered around falling in love with God, centered around obeying the Lord and spreading the gospel, Checking our affections for God. Checking our affections for other people. Let's walk in that. We need to love the Lord holy. And we need to love our neighbors personally. I want to point out that this, the first one, loving the Lord holy, cannot be done without this. 1 John makes that abundantly clear. You can't love the Lord who you've never seen and hate your brother who you see. You can't say, I love God and hate man. Love your neighbor as yourself. One of the core values that we have as a church is to gather And sometimes when we hear words like gather, we think of programs like, okay, I'll come Sunday morning, I'll go to adult Bible fellowship, I might be in some sort of men's or women's Bible study throughout the week, I'll show up on Wednesday nights to help serve. More important than showing up to a programming and gathering is that we would have an underlying commitment to obey this simple command. 
that as we look around with whoever we're sitting next to in whatever room we're in, that we would love them as ourself. But too often, we have way too shallow of a view and expectation of what it means to come together. That we think coming together is just showing up. And we settle for ways of loving each other that are way less than this. I greeted someone, I shook their hand, and I smiled at them. I loved them as myself. But don't you want to be loved so much deeper than that? Don't you want someone who's going to bear with you in your imperfections and help you carry the burdens that you're carrying? Someone who's going to check up on you and make sure that you're okay, who's just going to, out of the blue, let you know that they're praying for you and see if there's anything you need that day? I think we all want to be part of this community, of a community like that, but in order for that to happen, our desire to give needs to far out exceed our desire to receive. This is one of these areas where consumerism has worked its way into the church and it's not okay. Where we come in, I wonder what this place can do for me. I wonder who's going to take me out for lunch today. I wonder who's going to do this for my felt need right now instead of coming with this intention of I'm stepping into a room full of brothers and sisters in Christ. I wonder how I can serve them today. I, I want to come in and I want to find how I can pray for someone this week. I can't wait to see so-and-so so I can ask them how their, how their job interview went this week because I've been praying for it all week. I want to remind this person I love about God's promise for them that he'll never leave or forsake them because I know they've been going through some deep waters. If we're going to be able to participate in a community of people who love each other as themselves, we need to come with an eager expectation and intention of loving in this way ourselves. This has to take us beyond Iowa nice. And, and it's going from Iowa nice to brotherly love and brotherly affection. There's a big difference between saying hi and welcoming someone to sit with you and genuinely caring about them. There's a big difference between saying, I'm glad you're here, and saying, would you join me? Find someone to get together with this week. We're going to be starting in 2023. We're going to be doing heart to heart and shoulder to shoulder again. This is an opportunity to get together with one other person of the same gender, meet regularly throughout the calendar year, and just get to know each other and build a relationship. Pairing you with someone that you can love as yourself. Invite someone who's not in your adult Bible fellowship, or more importantly, who's not in an adult Bible fellowship, to come with you, to join you for lunch after church to serve with you in the area of the church you're serving with. Find out how you can pray for them, check in with them, encourage them. And lastly, would we let this standard 
of loving each other challenge us? Not just within this building, but especially as we love outside this building. We know how we want to be loved. And so when we see someone struggling, so often we'll look at, it's, it's complicated, right? You see someone in need of help, you're told to love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbors, whoever's around you needing love. And you, but so often we think, well, I'm only going to help those who can help themselves. I'm only going to help those who really deserve it. I'm going to help those who are, they didn't get there by their own bad actions because they're getting what they deserve. At that point, you're no longer help, loving someone as you want to be loved. Because don't we want to be loved before it's urgently necessary for us to be loved? Don't we want to be loved regardless of how much we need it or deserve it in that moment? The, The scribe makes a pretty important observation here about Jesus' response. This is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When we love the Lord our God with all ourselves, and we love our neighbors ourselves, this is deeply pleasing to the Lord. You can't replace these things with other good behavior. You can't tithe or sober or abstinence your way out of the necessity of these things. A young theologian who's taught me a lot points out that these commands hold a higher standard than the sacrifice. He also says that while these are simple commands and it only comes down to two things, we still can't even do this on our own. We need the Lord's help so greatly. We need Christ. We need to be recalled over and over again to the fact that our Lord has saved us because how incapable we are of saving ourselves. I was listening to a former offensive lineman, NFL offensive lineman, talk about his journey through the game. And when he was in high school, he was this highly touted recruit. And he played at a successful high school program and he was good. And he, as these five star, as these, as these power five programs are coming to recruit him and making all these scholarship offers, he, he had in his mind, he thought, okay, I'm just playing high school ball. I'm getting ready to play big boy division one football. And when I get there, I'm going to have an offensive line coach and an offensive coordinator, and they're going to open up the secrets of the game to me. Because until this point, all I've been doing is working on my stance, working on my first steps, working on getting low, working on leverage, working on really basic mechanics of pass and run blocking. And I'm ready for the secret book of football knowledge to be open. So he goes to this Power 5 school, top-tier program in the nation at the time. He, he ended up winning a national championship. But every day of practice... Here's your stance. Move your foot one inch. What's your first step look like? 
How do, you, how do you back upright? What's your footwork? Where are your hands at? Where's your leverage at? Every single day, it's the same exact things he did in high school. And he's getting ready for the NFL draft. And he's like, okay, now I'm going to the NFL. I'm going to come. I'm going to have this, this guru of football who's going to tell me all the magic knowledge, the secret knowledge of football. He gets to OTAs and fall training camp. Show me your stance. Move that foot a little bit. Move that hand a little bit. What's your first step look like? And every single day of the NFL, it was the same fundamentals. We are tempted over and over and over again to think, what do I need to walk with the Lord? What do I need to do to walk with the Lord? I just heard something in the news. How does that impact how I walk with the Lord? My church is going through this study or this change. We're about to lose half our bathrooms. How do I walk with the Lord? Like this. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> you walk with the Lord the same way people have been intended to walk with the Lord ever since Deuteronomy. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. You don't cry out to any other. You love the Lord with all that you are because he's worthy of it. He alone is worthy of it. And because there's, the world is full of people made in his likeness, you love your neighbor as yourself. You extend the same love he's given to you. That's all it is. Let's pray. God, so often we just overcomplicate life. We get bogged down. We get confused. We get distracted by events and changes. And Lord, we we miss the simplicity of this. Lord, would, would you help us to fall more in love with you? Would you help us to express our affection to you more? And Lord, would you help us to express our affection to each other more effectively and more selflessly? Not for the sake of Westchester, but for the sake of your name, Almighty God, Lord of hosts, who's adopted us into his family, would you stir these affections? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.